If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. Hello, I am Randy Andrews, and today I've got Blake Neely on with me as I interview him about his current work with the Netflix original series called The Keepers. We'll also talk about his work on current CW superhero shows and more, all coming up today on Soundtrack Alley. got Blake Neely interviewed on my show. He is mostly known for his work on The Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, and Blindspot. We will be talking about his current work on The Keepers, a Netflix original series in the form of documentary. Here's a basic rundown of the facts on the documentary before I play the interview. Netflix's latest docuseries tackles the unsolved murder of Kathy Sesnick, a beloved nun and Catholic high school teacher in Baltimore. After disappearing on November 7, 1969, Sesnick's body was found nearly two months later. But to this day, the killer remains unnamed. In the 90s, the case returned to the spotlight after one of Sesnick's former students accused the high school's chaplain of sexual abuse and claims that she was taken to Sesnick's then-undiscovered corpse and threatened. Director Ryan White pieces together the story through conversations with friends, relatives, journalists, government officials, and Baltimore citizens, hoping to uncover the truth. So now, here is the interview. Hi, I'm Randy Andrews, and I've got Blake Neely on with me. Blake, it's good to have you on my show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, Blake, I was wondering, what got you into composing? Well, I started playing the piano or playing around on the piano, my parents said when I was about four years old, and that turned into me making up little little ditties of my own, and then um, 
around the time I was eight years old. I was a I was a big classical music geek and would listen to my parents' old albums. And around eight years old, I went to see a movie called Star Wars and thought, wow, uh, I've never heard that music before. So that must be like a job that you can write music for movies. And that was it. That was my launching pad. That's really awesome. So who has been your biggest influence when composing? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm influenced by lots of stuff. I, I tend to do... Um, I mean, I could list I could list off all the masters and even mentors that I've had, such as Michael Kamen and Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard. Um, but uh, I'm just... I'm kind of influenced by anything that moves me. So if I hear a particular work, whether it's in classical or even pop, I'll... Um, you know, be influenced or by that. That's really music. Such a it's music. Such a wide spectrum these days that you know, there's so much to hear and so much to listen to, and it could be I'm in a theater listening to a film score or at a concert hall watching a a premiere. Yeah, I understand that. We we are almost inundated with so much music that it's hard to determine uh, what can influence a person. Yeah. So, with the the current Netflix series called The Keepers being out mm-hmm. on on Netflix, um, it's increased your exposure to other mediums. Um, so how how has that really affected how you've given uh, the Keepers a distinct sound? Well, the Keepers one one for me, it's um, I love doing documentary work because. What I do most of most of my days is is fiction, um, fictional characters, whether they're superheroes or or um, you know FBI agents, they're fictional characters. So when I get to do a documentary, um, it's real people. So it, my I start with a different brain anyway. It's it's more uh, support these actual people's lives and what and the stories they're telling rather than you know become this other character. So my approach is a bit different in that way. Um, with the medium, I I don't really think about the medium. I'm just I'm just writing music for picture. So whether the story's told on the big screen or the small screen, or even on the radio, I would probably approach it the same way. Um, with with this, the one thing that was fantastic to this Netflix series is we had time. So Netflix puts everything up once it's finished, all seven episodes, mm-hmm. and then. In uh, my regular network television work, you know, we do we we finish one each week and put it up. So it allowed me the chance to say get to episode six and think, you know, I want to go back and change something in episode two that make more sense now that I've episode six. So mm-hmm. that's a really nice thing is to approach the entire piece as a whole instead of individual episodes. Oh, that's I've never thought of it that way. Um, because it probably flows like one whole uh, program, but it's divided. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was doing a seven-hour movie, mm-hmm. and, and you just you put the entire thing. Whereas with a series, the writers don't really know exactly what's going to be fourteen when we're an episode. But the way I like to write music um, for these stories, it's nice to, as as you say, lay pipe early like present a theme that then pays off 13 episodes later i can't see that in network uh serial tv i can see it though in a piece like the keepers 
Yeah, um, I noticed that too. I've been uh, trying to watch it, and I've noticed that you have these. Trying is a good. Trying is a really good <laughs> verb because it's a really difficult piece to watch, isn't it? It is. It's it's a uh, it's a very deep and kind of a dark story. Um, yeah. For this uh, group of people and how the murder was involved and. You you have this mystery about it, and that's what I really like about the mis- the music that you use. Um, it's it's so so simple and yet so complex. Oh, good, good. Yeah, it's I try to. Um, I mean, I tend to write with a lot of layers, and uh, I mean, I've even had my music described as like an onion. You keep peeling away a layer, and there's something else underneath. But that's. I, I like simplicity. I mean, one of my, um, you're asking about influence, one of my big influences is the classical composer Arvo Perk, and he writes extremely simple, uh, seemingly simple music, yet when you analyze it and get into it, it's it's very complex. I don't think mine is very complex, but I like that there are layers there that can, you know, become a little bit of a mystery as well. Mm-hmm. And with The Keepers, it was a broader scope of a project. And so how did you take that broader scope to form the music around it? Uh, how do you mean broader scope? Um, like as you had put it like a seven hour movie, how did you, how were you able to like take the story itself and really weave the music around it? Oh, so I, I kind of, broke it down into several uh, several different stories. You've got the story of the mystery of, of Sister Kathy and her disappearance and, and ultimate murder. Um, so that was one sort of storyline. You've got the story of Jean, who, uh, you know, was the, with the suppressed memories who came back and, and challenged the church, and it brings up all of the sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another story. Then you've got the entire school that it affected and all of those women... And that was another story. And then the big one is Father Maskell and the Catholic Church. So really, I kind of wanted to break it down and say, okay, tonally, how will I address these four things? And then how do we interweave that throughout? Um, but then, you know, it's we'd meet these brand new characters. And, and by characters, I mean real people, real lives. But we'd meet this new person, and and suddenly we're off on a different uh journey there's uh, i don't know if you've got an episode five but episode five um we start finding out about all these other people that were in were involved and so the music needed to take a turn because the audience is feeling you know almost confused at this point and mm-hmm. i thought uh music and ryan ryan white the director would would work with me and say like you know maybe we change it up here because this is where it's really the story's starting to change well that's but that... i did but i oh, didn't want to give the entire piece one kind of unified sound, which is why I ultimately came up with this um, idea of the solo violin and a voice. And the solo violin, to me, represented Gene's story, and the the female voice represented Kathy Sesnick's voice. Yeah, and I really found that you used piano quite effectively in the... Oh, thank you. I, I use piano all the time because I'm a piano player. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I also find it a very evocative, emotional instrument with, with the huge range and um, 
yeah, I love using piano and and thank you for noticing. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I want to congratulate you on your most recent Emmy nomination. And um, how do you think that, how has it felt to work with such composers as in the past as like uh, Michael Kamen or even Hans Zimmer or even James Newton Howard? How has that affected your work? Well, I could not be doing what I'm doing without having learned from them. They were just, you know, it was, it was three very different times in my career, but, um, you know, to sit and to learn and just be a fly on the wall and watch three masters of film scoring like that and, you know, take little things from each and like, oh, I like how he does that. I like how he talks to the director there. Um, I like how he scores that scene by a subtle approach instead of an overt approach. All these things I took in as sort of a student, a student but working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it helped me adapt and kind of make up my own style, not just musical style, but business style. And, uh, you know, because this business is also, it's a personality thing. It's a collaborative, you're sitting in a room, dark room with the director and trying to help um, tell his story or her story. So how you work with them, I learned from watching people like Hans and Michael and James, and also how they approach a scene, how they, you know, why don't we wait, if we wait 20 more seconds to bring in the music, it'll be more effective, and, you know, that all added into my education of how to do this. That's that's really uh, fascinating, and... Um, plus, all, plus you named three wonderful human beings, too, so you can't, <laughs> that, that can't be bad either. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I asked this of the different composers that I have interviewed. Who is your favorite composer? Oh, wow. How about current? Uh, how about what? How about current composer? Current composer? Um, favorite current composer? Does that have to be film? No. Oh, okay. Well, my all-time favorite, like I said, was was this composer, Argo Parrott. All-time favorite. Um and then I love John Williams. Mm-hmm. I love Thomas Newman. I love uh, the three that I mentioned who are my mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a few. I have a few what I would call Desert Island scores, and each of them has written one of them. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I, and I, I'm excited to hear new new stuff. I just heard a new work at um, at the Philharmonic a month ago, and I thought, you know, that's that's what it's about. It's, keep new ideas coming yeah that's 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 a really good way of putting it um but i love i love cigaros you know people wouldn't call them composers i call them composers they're writing their own music you know a lot of people will say a band is different than a composer and not really we're just all writing music yeah because it's just a different medium exactly and whether you pluck it out on your guitar or your keyboard or sit with a pencil and paper at a desk if you're you know, however you make music, however you get it out, that's composing. Yeah, so how has composing, say, for uh, the CW shows compare to a documentary? Well, there, the one thing is time. Um, there, there, It's a very quick turnaround on a CW show or any network show. Um, but the uh, the approach... The approach with those shows is also very cinematic. It's over the top. We're doing comic books and superheroes. Mm-hmm. So it's very cinematic, big orchestrations, fast pace. 
Whereas the documentary, and, and also I would say you have to do a lot more storytelling. Have, the music has to help a little bit more with taking the turns and the twists and the action and hit this and hit that. And with um, a documentary, I find it's more about the tone, setting the right tone. And you don't have to take a bunch of turns and and comment. The music doesn't have to comment on what the characters are saying so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it's more about a vibe and a, and a feel. So that's that's kind of my different way of approaching it. With something like The Keepers, you've also got the added whodunit mystery, so you've you've got to do a little bit of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but a much smaller, you know, I can't imagine the size orchestration from, say, Supergirl being in something as intimate as The Keepers. Yeah. So you've also got to think instrumentation and just sheer size of the music. Yeah, that's that's an uh, interesting way of looking at it. Which have you found easier, uh, composing for, say, television or composing for a documentary? Uh, I find them... I don't find either of them terribly harder than the other. I find it... Uh, again, it comes down to time because when you have like keepers, I had about seven months to work on it, mm-hmm. um, off and on. And with television, I have a week for this episode and a week for the next episode. Um, I've developed tricks and tools to, to do things quickly, uh, whether it's templates or sound palettes or reusing themes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't find them more difficult. What I find what I find the most difficult is if I can't, if I can't find a, a personal connection with the piece I'm working on, because music is an emotional thing, and if it's just a piece that I don't really identify with, meaning the the story, it's hard. It's very hard to write music that's going to work. That's where I find the hardest. Yeah. Uh, so, have you composed anything for a feature length film? Oh yeah, I've done several films. I haven't done a film in, in uh, probably five years because I've been so busy with the TV shows, but mm-hmm. I do have uh, a feature film coming up this summer, and um, that's that's another that's a whole other approach, which is you get to see the entire piece as one, like we're talking about the documentary series. Mm-hmm. You have time to work on it. You're not rushed, but you're also, with a film, it's a different kind of stamina because... You're dealing with one two-hour project that you're you're going to be working on probably for four to five months. So whereas, you know, with TV, even if I'm tired of the episode, it's gone in a week. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, film, yeah. You know, you're you're seeing the same scene maybe fifty times over before you get it right. But I do I do really like it because film, um, in some ways, lets you be a little more uh, break ground. You know, a little more inventive. You can try try different things, whereas a, a TV show, once you've got the sound of the show, you kind of want to keep it so that each week the viewers aren't thinking, wait, am I watching Arrow or the music just changed? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, so what is the largest orchestra you've worked with? Well, the largest I've ever, I've ever conducted was um, I did this, I did an orchestration for Vangelis, the Greek composer who composed Blade Runner and Chariots of Fire. And he hired me to do this 70-minute um, symphonic piece. And we had a 110-piece orchestra. We had 30 drummers, a 200-piece choir, Jesse Norman 
singing uh, mezzo-soprano and Kathleen Battle singing soprano. So there were probably more people on the stage under my baton than there were in the audience at that point. <laughs> wow. But for film, the biggest I've worked with, um, probably like a 100-piece orchestra, 110-piece orchestra. Um, I, I tend to, for my own projects, my sound that I'm really happy with is more around, say, 40 players. Wow. Um, just because I, I, you know, I can write the big stuff and, and it's fine and I, and I like it when it's that huge a sound. But um, I tend to, when I go to write, you know, pencil to paper, it's about 40 players and I'm like, okay, we're good. That's, that's really nice uh, to even know that uh, for the most part, you like to still keep things simple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's 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 difficult to see some of these pieces that other composers have done that are so complex that it makes you dizzy to yeah. really listen to it. And you know what? If I my my favorite time with an orchestra is if I know if I if it's small enough that I know everyone in the room, you know, by name. That's a great day because you can really you're working with your friends. And I have a a small stage on my studio that fits about 22 players and that's that's just the perfect day for me is 20 22 of my friends we make some music together awesome that's really cool uh so i noticed in your bio that you have you are an author of 25 instrumental method books um including the best-selling piano for dummies isn't that crazy yeah that really (laughs) is crazy i i was really impressed by that um, yeah, a guy that can barely play the piano except for his own stuff, and he wrote <laughs> Piano for Dummies, but hey, um, it was it came about before my composing career took off. I, I had left a job at Disney, Disney Publishing, and started doing some freelance work for a publisher, Hal Leonard, and they came up with this series called Fast Track, which was an instrumental way, um, mm-hmm. instrumental method book, and I just pitched them an idea of doing a sort of comedic one. And nice. it's, you know, self-deprecating and doesn't take learning music too serious because I've, <laughs> I always found growing up that the method books were very boring uh-huh. and dry. So after that happened and we did 25 of them, um, this line was coming out, the IDG Dummies books, and these guys did classical music for dummies. And it was their first kind of venture outside of computers into, you know, more home stuff. And so we pitched them the idea of Piano for Dummies, and having done these, you know, uh, comedic method books, I got the gig. So it was years ago, though, <laughs> and I'll still get emails from people saying, hey, on page 30, you say <laughs> this, can you further explain? <laughs> wow. I'm like, guys, that was over 20 years ago. You're like, I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't have any idea. I don't even don't know it was on page 30. So uh, another question I had, do you still lecture at certain places? Because um, I noticed you lectured at like the Sundance Institute and universities. Yeah, I'm still very, and... active, with, I'm still very active with Sundance Institute. Um, I try to go up every summer and, and talk with them and advise because I really like helping new composers get their start and find their voice because that's how I got here is I was helped and I was nurtured by you know my mentors so i really like that i i advised at usc which is university of southern california Mm -hmm. um i even went and did a workshop in vienna 
Austria once. Cool. So when those when those opportunities come up, and it's usually in the summer when my production I'm off of I'm on hiatus. Uh, I love doing that. That's so hopefully more in the future. That's really cool. Um, so are you working currently on any independent projects? I'm working on an album project of my own, which I'm finally going to see finish this year. It's, it's things that I write for myself, even, even though I write tons of music a year for TV and film, um, I still take time to write for myself. And this is just kind of a collection of many years of doing this and, saying, well, maybe maybe I shouldn't put it out. And this year I said, I'm going to put it out. So that's one thing I'm working on. Um, and then, like I said, this film coming up for Fox, and it's also a Greg Berlanti-directed film called cool. Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda. Nice. So uh, do you have a favorite director you like to work with? Um, I love working with Greg Berlanti, obviously. We've been together for 15 years, and I absolutely love working with Ryan White on any of his documentaries they've just been they've been wonderful supportive uh champions of mine and allow a wide breadth of creativity and uh to let me do my thing but then they also are so skilled at knowing exactly what they want that they can you know mold and get you there well that's that's really awesome um well, but it's really, you know, if you can work with your friends or at least people that you admire and respect, because this, this, uh, it's a short life and there's a lot of people that aren't supportive to work with. So, um, I'm, I'm blessed that I get to work with, with these guys. Well, I can appreciate that too. I really like when I podcast, I really like working with people that are of like mind to, uh, you know, be passionate about the project that, uh, we're working on so um yeah and just and just respectful and and kind mm-hmm. you know we're I, I once was working with with someone and i and i left the project because they're they were so difficult to work with and i just thought you know we're just making entertainment why are we why are we why are we taking this so seriously and we do take our artwork seriously but not to the point of being mean to people yeah i completely understand <laughs> so, Blake, it's been really nice talking to you, and I know your time is very valuable, and uh, I really thank you for taking this time to be able to be interviewed, and it's just been a real privilege to be able to do this. Well, thank you. I will say that my time's no more valuable than yours, so thank <laughs> you for having me on your show. Yeah. Well, um, I hope the rest of your day goes well, and um, thank you for the interview. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, unfortunately, Blake Neely was unable to provide cues from the Keepers for me to play on the show. However, don't be let down. I'll be giving you some great cues from all his CW shows as well as the FBI thriller show Blindspot. First, let's start with The Flash. If you're a comic fan, you were waiting for this series to be remade and adapted to television. Our collective waiting is over. For now, there are three seasons to the current show of The Flash. What is The Flash, you may ask? Here's a basic rundown. At 11, Barry Allen's life changed completely when his mother died in a freak accident and his innocent father was convicted of her murder. 
Now a crime scene investigator, his dedication to learn the truth about his mother's death drives him to follow up on every scientific advancement in urban legend. When his latest obsession, a particle accelerator, heralded as a world-changing invention, causes an explosion, it creates a freak storm that Barry is struck by lightning. He awakes from a coma nine months later with the power of super speed. When he learns that others who have gained powers use them for evil, he dedicates himself to protecting the innocent while still trying to solve the older mystery. So The Flash is a great show, and Blake Neely provides some exciting music for the series. I'm going to provide some good cues for this series, so I'll be playing a suite that includes The Fastest Man Alive, Always Late, Captain Cold, Grodd Lives, and The Man in the Yellow Suit. So, enjoy this suite.
Next, I'd like to delve into Arrow. There have been four series so far for Arrow, and I'm going to narrow this down to three separate cues. First, I'll have the Oliver Queen Suite, then City of Heroes and Canary, and Canary Flies Away. Arrow is a very complicated series, and at first you can feel like Arrow is not a good hero until the second season of the series. As it goes along, the show gets better and better. It's worth bringing, binging for a while on Netflix. If you're familiar with the series, that's great. I love how Blake reaches into the void and pulls out a heart-wrenching cue for the series, giving an emotional roller coaster for the characters. One of the wonderful ways of really appreciating Arrow is appreciating the art of Mike Grell, who has done the comic art for Green Arrow. I'm going to play a promo for Warlord Worlds, a podcast for the comics with art by Mike Grell. So here's that promo. Warlord Worlds, a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of Mike Grell, including Warlord, John Sable, Star Slayer, Shaman's Tears, and Green Arrow. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. Join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at warlordworlds.com. I'd also like to play a promo for Trucker Talk about the exploits of bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair and the art of Ron Randall. This podcast is hosted by Darren and Ruth Sutherland, whom you will hear with me on a later episode. So enjoy this promo. Trekker Talk. A fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. We'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Trekker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at trekkertalk.com. So I honestly hope you check out that podcast, and now I'll be playing the cues from Arrow, which include the Oliver Queen Suite, City of Heroes, Canary, and Canary Flies Away.
The next piece of music I'd like to play is from the series Supergirl. This is a fairly new series and is catching quite a stir among comic book enthusiasts. Supergirl is another series that Blake Neely has composed music for. I'll present the theme to Supergirl, and I hope you like it. Second to last, I'll present a couple cues from Blake Neely's work on Legends of Tomorrow. I'll be playing London 2166, Set a Course, Time Masters Offer a Deal, The Magnificent Eight, and lastly, Time is Unmoored. So all of this series actually ties into the Legion of Superheroes yet to show up on network television. I hope you enjoy these cues.
So we've come down to another end of episode of Soundtrack Alley. I'd like to thank Trekker Talk and Warlord Worlds for their promos that they have for their shows. I'd also like to thank Beth Krakauer for setting up the interview with Blake Neely. I'd also like to thank Blake Neely for the interview, as well as Jillian Orwall for the fantastic intro to my show. So the last cues I'd like to play today are from the show called Blind Spot. This is an FBI thriller that centers on one woman. The cues I've chosen are called Who is Jane Doe? the main title theme, Field Trip, and See You on the Other Side. So enjoy this, and I hope you come back again. So happy listening.
thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take some time to review my podcast on iTunes and also listen to it on Podbean. And if you leave a review or rating on there, it'll help us get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day.